Climate action plans, healthy workplaces, environmental governance, footprints and ecosystems, benchmarks and KPIs, the hows and whys of change, of being green, birdo, and buying credit because regulators tell you that credit is due. I'm your host, Jackie Gala, and this is FM Forward. Welcome to season four, track two, which is all about making you successful in the face of significant change. Get ready to dump the dirty and clean up your act. In the prosaic words of Kermit the Frog, it's not easy being green, but we're here to help. Let's take a break to learn more about one of our partners. Tecta America is the leading national commercial roofing company in the U.S. with over 90 locations nationwide and five New England offices. They have an exclusive high-performance tool designed to manage your roofing portfolio, the Tecta Tracker. This tool is the total roof asset management system designed to meet the needs of today's sophisticated facilities managers. This software makes it easy for you to plan, budget, manage, and optimize your roofing portfolio. Field data is transformed into insights and information you can use to help you make better business decisions. And do you know the score on your roof? To help you plan, Tecta America scores your roof with roof assessor points. This proprietary indexing tool incorporates 10 key performance criteria, including membrane and seam condition, flashing condition, age, and pending repairs to arrive at an estimated remaining service life. To learn more, email Anthony Mora at amora at tectaamerica.com or check out today's show notes. Good morning. I am so pleased to have Andy Wu of Liberty Mutual here with me today um, in the second episode of our fourth season, second track on climate action. Andy is a uh, senior corporate sustainability consultant for Liberty Mutual um, and has just a really interesting and wide breadth of experience that I think is going to help our FM listeners really get their uh, arms around how to begin taking actionable steps um, to their own planning efforts. So thank you, Andy, for being with me this morning. Absolutely, Jackie. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm, we've got a, a full lineup of questions and um, we're going to have some fun with it. So because it's a Friday and we've had a hard week, right? Have you had a hard week? Absolutely. It's been a rough week. Uh, looking forward to the weekend. Uh, it's going to be a hot one this weekend, but uh, looking forward to some time with the family. Good, good. I'm glad to hear it. Well, um, with, gosh, 800 offices in over 20 countries worldwide, um, you do have your hands full. So how did Liberty arrive at its current reduction commitment? Thank you, Jackie. Great question. It was uh, a team effort. And when I say it was a team effort, it really involved several functions across the organization. Not only those of the real estate and facilities organization, but as well as our IT folks, our fleet management, as well as the Office of Sustainability. And 
as we were kind of starting the initial discussions, one of the things that we've recognized was that achieving a target and setting that target wasn't just a, a set of initiatives or a set of tactics that we needed to take, but really a mindset that we needed to embed within the organization and a cultural shift that needed to happen. And as a re result of these conversations, we wanted to set a target that was ambitious, but yet achievable because we understood that embedding a mindset takes time mm -hmm. and that taking that first step takes a, a, an effort to, to shift that mindset that I mentioned. And yeah. that is how we ended up ultimately uh, landing on a 50% reduction in our greenhouse gases by 2030 from a 2019 baseline. And so, you know, to answer your question, it is that team effort and the discussions that we have that landed up where we where we did and it we are proud of it and we are really kind of taking that journey today wow um that's pretty amazing so in talking with bentley university about their planning it's it feels reaffirming to hear that they also reached out to over 300 departments within their organization to build consensus and excitement and do that, you know, cultural shift um, that you're talking about. So I just wanted to underscore that for our listeners. Um, doing these things in a silo probably will make their lives much more difficult if they can branch out and get wholesale um, excitement around these efforts. Um, progress is probably going to be faster, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. I think when, when we talk about these silos, we as an individual within a certain core function of, a, of an organization can't set a target for the entire enterprise if we don't have people on board from the get from the get go, and that is a key piece to achieving any type of uh, target that we set uh, that is uh, across the entire or, uh, organization, and it is really kind of that key first step in any type of target setting and uh, planning as it relates to achievement. Hmm. So liberty, as as we mentioned. Um, you know, right off of the bat is a is a huge global organization. Um, I understand from earlier conversations with you that you actually narrowed your focus to increase productivity and, you know, your to in your efforts to achieve those um, wonderful uh, emissions reduction goals that you have. And you pinpointed one particular area for your initial focus. Could you talk to us about why the prioritization around facilities? Oh, absolutely. Um, our organization operates uh, and, and our operations folks play a key role in driving our reductions. You know, and, and facilities and our facility managers are front and center in uh, implementing and achieving significant reductions. And, you know, the, the approach that we take from a target achievement is what we call a 3R strategy. That is reductions, renewables, 
recs, and offsets. And I'll kind of dig into each one uh, fairly quickly. Okay. Reductions is really kind of focusing on reducing the use of our, our, our resources that emit greenhouse gases, right? So reducing mm-hmm. the use of uh, electricity or any type of heating fuels, that's where we focused on that first R. The second R is renewables, and that is to pinpoint how we as an organization can add new renewable generation to the power generation mix. The third R is RECs and offsets. And in this R, we are looking to support existing renewable generation, as well as projects that either remove or avoid additional carbon emissions. And this is a strategy that is for the most part sequential rather than parallel. And the reason why is because you want to make sure that you reduce your consumption first before looking at opportunities to build new renewables or to perch or support the existing renewable generation or any type of carbon offset projects, right? You want to make sure you reduce first before you go on anything else. From that perspective, that is where facilities comes into a big place because they have the control, they understand the operations of the organization to really drive that first R. Okay. Uh, That's very, very interesting. And I think we're probably going to touch a little bit more on that first R um, later in our conversation. Talk to me just for a moment about the renewable component. What is Liberty doing in terms of renewables? So we are early on our journey on that. And we are looking at opportunities where we have an opportunity to either look at uh, on-site renewables in locations that we own and operate, but also looking at opportunities where we can be a player in helping spur new utility scale renewable generation where we operate. And there are a lot of different mechanisms for that. Uh, It's a a fairly complicated uh, endeavor, Um, but I would would add that um, our role that we see from this perspective is how how does Liberty Mutual really accelerate and bring additionality to that transition of renewable generation? And so, those are conversations so you're a that we pathfinder in that regard, Andy. We are definitely uh, one of the leading organizations uh, amongst other leading organizations organizations that are looking to increase the renewable generation to the mix. Mm. That's fascinating. Um, all, right, all right, wonderful. So um, we know that many of your facilities um, fall into states, municipalities, cities that have frameworks around carbon reduction, emissions, et cetera. Boston is one of those places. Could you talk to me about the three categories um, associated with emissions um, that you think Liberty Mutual has the most control over? Um, you know, how do you get the the greatest impact 
on behalf of the organization? The way that we track and measure our emissions, uh, we follow something called the GHG protocol. And we follow the protocol similar to most organizations, which is the corporate standard of the GHG protocol for measurement. This protocol, the way it is, it is set up, classifies three different categories of emissions. And I'll kind of break down each of those categories fairly quickly. Super. Uh, the first scope of emissions is what an organization directly emits into the air. And typically that is through the burning of certain heating fuels like natural gas, uh, any type of combustion of transportation fuels, and um, the emissions from certain processes. So uh, while it doesn't pertain to Liberty Mutual, if you're a chemical company and you have some react chemical reactions that emit air, uh, emissions into the air, those would be categorized into scope one. Scope two are emissions from your purchase electricity. And when you and I use a unit of electricity for our lights or our HVAC system, that unit of electricity traces back to the power grid to how that unit of electricity was produced. And typically that is some blend of brown resources like coal and natural gas, renewable resources like solar, wind, and hydro, and clean resources from i.e. nuclear. Now, those emissions are that blend that I mentioned that fall under scope two. The third category of emissions are scope three emissions. And these are emissions that happen upstream and downstream in the supply chain of your company. Now, these are emissions that are results of economic activities that you take on. But we also understand that these are emissions that do not that are not owned by the company or are not controlled by the company, but they exist through economic activity. And the GHG protocol categorizes 15 different categories of scope three emissions. Now, going back to your question regarding, you know, where, where we kind of fall in and what we have most control over, we as an organization have more control over our scope one emissions versus that of our scope two emissions and more control of our scope two emissions versus that of our scope three emissions. Okay. And, and so that is going to be the case for most organizations. Um, I would also say that for most organizations, about 70 to 80% of them, your scope uh, three emissions are typically the largest of your scope one, two, and three. Now, for Liberty Mutual, uh, when we look at um, our building operations in, in Boston, we absolutely have the most control over our, our scope one and scope two. And that is where our facility uh, folks play a major role, right? Looking at the opportunities from an efficiency standpoint, from the, the power that we use for that building and the fuels that we use to make sure our our employees and our guests are warm during those cold winter months. I think it's clear that there's tremendous opportunity by focusing on that, right? Focusing on your facility, what you're putting out there, how you're using it, how you're managing it. Um, and there are tactical ways that 
you can begin to make a difference immediately inside the buildings that you operate. Isn't that true? Oh, absolutely. There are there are, there are, there's the 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 dub the easy wins of just looking at the operational standpoint. Um, in previous years of 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 looking at how organizations have been able to achieve uh, significant reductions, they're really simple things, right? Um, hey, how can we can we really look at the building operations in terms of our heating and cooling onsets that are more aligned to when people are actually in the building? Uh, same with same with lighting uh, onsets and offsets of of when those lights are on. But also what, looking. I'm sorry, Andy. Let me stop you for just one second. Could you explain to me what an onset is? Uh, just as in when those uh, functions of the building turn on and off, right? Oh, so. Okay. Uh, your building management systems are really good at that. And typically within uh, some of your larger commercial real estate uh, buildings, you have a fairly robust building management system. But in some cases where those locations are, are smaller, uh, those don't tend to be as refined as, as some of the larger commercial ones. Understood. So outside of the, uh, the the operational ones that are easy wins because all it takes is a, a new set of protocols in terms of how when things go on and when things go off, there are opportunities from a capital efficiency standpoint to say, well, let's look at some of your easy wins from an efficiency of capital projects. Typically, uh, your lighting projects tend to be ones that are the, the easy, quick wins where moving to an LED uh, or, or even from your old incandescence to CFLs uh, really generated some fast paybacks and some really significant energy savings as well as, dollar, as uh, monetary savings. So we looked at uh, opportunities from that standpoint, from an operational standpoint, from a capital prospect, from a capital efficiency standpoint. And more so, I think we, what we're seeing today is a really interesting space as it relates to how people are interacting with buildings and really the, the, the kind of workplace of the future in terms of, well, what is the, 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 the transition to a hybrid workspace? Yes, maybe there is this opportunity where, you know, it, it doesn't require as much space as there used to be, but it's also this reimagining, reimagination of the workplace where when people come in, it's no longer just, you know, they're sitting at their desk doing work. They're really kind of collaborating with one another. And that re reimagination requires more open space, more collaborative workspaces to allow people to, to do that when they come into the office. Yeah, it's, it is all very interesting. I'm sure um, you and, and your team is looking at the implications of the hybrid workplace um, to the reduction in emissions as it relates to transportation, because transportation is a big ticket item. Absolutely. Now, going back to um, the way that our emissions are calculated, um, transportation is absolutely a huge one. Uh, I would add, though, that when we look at the operational boundaries of Liberty Mutual, the transportation that we have and that we record in the emissions that we directly emit into the air are from our fleet, right, from our 
uh, adjusters and claims folks that are going to sites that are evaluating, um, you know, a person's property to uh, to make sure that the claims are are, are properly valued. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. as it relates to the transportation that I may take to go into the office, that is uh, part of Liberty Mutual's scope three because it's not one that Liberty Mutual directly owns or controls. It's what I own and what I control. So while there is- But you might be able to incentivize employees, perhaps, and maybe there are other ways to do it too. Yeah, absolutely. There are definitely ways in which uh, Liberty Mutual can promote work from home, can set up policies for that. But ultimately, you know, they don't have- the decision to tell me what car I drive or whether or not I take public transportation or not. They do have the ability to and the opportunity to influence, but it is not an ownership. No, but that's why in part this campaign, if you will, that helps to educate and create a mind shift has individuals thinking differently, perhaps more responsibly as it relates to their role in promoting a, a healthy planet. So they they go hand in hand and perhaps it isn't easily measured, which is something that we're always talking about because I know your C-suite says to you, Andy, I tell me what my ROI is on these things. And that perhaps is a little bit more blurry a little bit muddier, um, but you have other programs that you're um, rolling out where you are having clear, measurable returns. And as you say, there's low-hanging fruit on programs like lighting retrofits, which you can show immediate savings to that C-suite. And when you're pairing things you know, doing right with um, saving money, it's a, it's a win-win. Oh, absolutely. And, and when you, we are able to take on those opportunities, they are easy sells and uh, they're definitely those win-wins that we all want to be able to achieve across our organization and ones that we want to see every organization take on. Let's take a quick break to learn more about one of our partners. The office. What future does it have in today's working world? A world that is more flexible? A world that can work anywhere? Hi, I'm Suki Riley, Regional Director at MovePlan, a leading specialist in move and change management. We partner with businesses around the world, helping them cope with the challenges associated with change. Whether they want to relocate, reimagine their current workspace, or indeed reevaluate their workplace culture. At MovePlan, we combine the technical elements of a move with support on workplace change and the work environment to provide bespoke and actionable solutions that meet your business needs. So whether you're looking to return to the office, stay remote, or be somewhere in between, MovePlan can help you make sense of the working world today. To find out how we can help you, just search MovePlan.
All right. Well, let's talk about something that you mentioned to me that I thought, huh, that sounds like maybe a missed opportunity, if not a total loss altogether. And uh, this is the idea that LEED certification, which is happening primarily in the architectural or interior design function, perhaps isn't having a net positive return as it relates to the operations of the building. Could you talk to to our listeners about that? Why? What's happening? Yeah, so, you know, LEED has been great in terms of looking at the building design and the building construction. And I also understand that, look, LEED also has an operation and, and maintenance certification as well. But if I was to, but let's go back to what you mentioned on the building design and construction standpoint is that, yes, LEED has been able to really kind of take leaps in terms of looking and looking at embedding environmental impacts to how a building is designed and how it is built. But we also have to understand that it is the operations of that building that are a big factor in the efficiency of how that building works, right? We can build the most efficient building using lead concepts But if you're not operating that building with efficiency in mind, you could potentially negate some of the environmental benefits that was initially intended for that design and construction, right? This is similar to um, kind of some of these rebound effects that you hear, uh, that that you hear quite often from from an auto perspective. Someone moves from an internal combustion car to a hybrid car, And so they're going to reap a lot of savings from a fuel standpoint and from an emissions standpoint. But those savings are negated if they just end up driving more, right? And Mm. in in some really bad instances, if they drive so much more, you could actually emit more emissions because the the driver feels like they have uh, ability to emit more because they're driving a more fuel efficient car. And, And that is how I equate lead and and the and the division between the design and construction versus that of the actual operations and maintenance. Now, there are categories of lead that focus on operations and ma- uh, maintenance, um, and and those are in parallel to uh, the 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 energy star energy star certification that are out there. But I think it's also important to recognize that it's not a one or one or the other, it's a it's a both and, right? To achieve the most efficient building, it's not just the design and construction, it's the operation and maintenance as well, right? If you can design a building that has efficiency in mind and environment in mind, and then are able to operate that with those same concepts, you are able to then get the most efficient building from a design standpoint and an operation standpoint. So it sounds like maybe the easy solve for that, Andy, could be to have the FM at the table during pre-construction and design. So they're offering 
real boots on the ground recommendations as it relates to um, these efficiency initiatives and and sustainability goals um, because LEAD was never designed with the intention that we people would just chase points or credits. It was done with the hope and intention that we would have a healthier building, a healthier planet. Um, and it sounds like there's just a, a little missing piece to the puzzle there. If we could get those FMs at the table, we might be able to solve for it. Absolutely. And, and, and going back to our, our, our first topic, it's we can't operate in silos, right? Yeah. And, and when it comes to the, the building design and construction, they can't operate in a silo. They should include those that are going to interact with their end product, which are those facility managers. Yeah, it makes total sense. Um, oh, all right, great. So um, I want to talk a little bit about measurements. Um, we discussed, you know, tracking ROIs and being able to implement different um, either energy savings or uh, carbon reduction initiatives and tracking those out over time. So we know, you know, for instance, reducing our electrical um, output is kind of easy to track, right? Um, if we have our old bill and we know how much we were paying for electricity and we uh, um, execute a um, lighting retrofit program in a building, um, we can track the difference benchmarked against our bills from prior to the, um, pr the project. And we can see how long is it gonna take us to pay that back and start reaping some extra benefits. But it feels like so many facilities management professionals are saying beyond that, I get a little bit tied up in trying to figure out how things can be measured. What are the KPIs or what should I associate with, you know, these key performance metrics and how can I present that to the leadership in a way that will make sense to them? Do you do anything special or different at Liberty Mutual that you might share with um, the audience? Yeah, so I think when we come into the measurement perspective, it is, and, and really from an emission standpoint, it is that GHG protocol that I mentioned that is the foundational layer to how we measure. Okay. And, and it is that protocol that defines um, the control approach that we take to measuring our emissions. And it is the boundaries that we set. So for Liberty Mutual, we take a operational control to how we measure our emissions. And that operational control basically sets the stage for saying that we have the ability to introduce and implement certain operating policies. And because of that control, these are the things that we will include in our measurement. And as 
as part of that, we also set the specific boundaries of what we measure, and that is 100% of our operations. Now, measurement is is a journey in itself. Uh, there, you, I would tell you that in every organization that I worked for, from a measurement perspective, it's not perfection out of the gate. It is a continuous journey of improvement over time, okay. and that that journey is really about improving the data quality and the data availability and to increase the accuracy of our measurement. And so while there are opportunities for, you know, kind of getting the easy things in terms of locations where you have bills, whether those be from heating or power, uh, there's opportunities to look at how uh, organizations like ours that are our tenants in multi-tenant buildings and how we can get the best uh, and most accurate information through certain estimation methodologies or with working with landlords to say, hey, look, are there opportunities for us to work together to get a meter in or get more accurate data to reflect how we actually use and how we actually operate a site? Mm, okay, that that's great information. Um, I appreciate it. And I think that in some future episodes, we're going to actually discuss some technologies that can be implemented that will help with that um, and make both that data cleaner, if you will, and therefore your ability to measure things more accurate. So um, we'll leave that there for now. Um, because we have a couple of other things I want to tackle before I let you go. Um, I'd love for you to dive a little bit deeper into this idea of upstream and downstream um, impacts. I do know that it's one of the categories. I do feel like it seems, you know, in a uh, country that values um, freedom and democracy, we are not going to be telling other people how and what they can do and how to operate their their businesses. But there are some tangential impacts, are there not, that we might control? So that's a great question. And, and let me circle back to what I mentioned earlier on scope three emissions, that they are those upstream and downstream emissions and that they are the largest category for most industries. And for Liberty Mutual in the insurance sector and for the financial services more broadly, that holds true. And while we agree that we don't have the control or don't own those emissions, we do believe that as risk advisors, we have the opportunity to work with our clients from a transitional standpoint, right? But in order to have these conversations with our clients and upstream with our suppliers, we need to have conversations that are genuine and that they are meaningful and that they show that we have, as Liberty Mutual, walked the walk. Mm -hmm. and, in, and in order to do that, 
we need to circle back to things that we do have control over and to work with our facility managers to say, hey, look, we know that there is a pathway for us to achieve reductions. We need to showcase that because as we ultimately and will eventually talk to our suppliers and talk to our clients, we need to reflect that we have that we are having these conversations with integrity and that we have that we have showcased and made sure that our house has been put in order. Okay. So I, I think that's amazing. So, you know, do what we do. We're an example. We are showcasing um, all of these amazing ways in which you can have a, uh, an, a wonderful um, transformational impact on on the earth, on our communities, on on our buildings, on the people that work in our buildings, and save money. And you can do it too. So providing this really amazing example is a way of having impacts up and downstream. Completely agree with you, Jackie. So our house first. Okay, so I, I think that that's just fantastic. Um, and frankly, if, you know, I often say I'm enough to worry about. I can't worry about everybody else. I've got to, you know, mind my own business first. Um, so I, I'd love for you as somebody that's been in the business of sustainability um, for decades now to share with FMs who might just be dipping their toe in this for the very, very first time. Um, but know that, you know, a tidal wave of change is coming in our direction and they are going to be asked to participate in it and to uh, make headway on behalf of their companies, whether that's, you know, a small business um, or they own, um, you know, multiple buildings in, in, you know, several regions. How would you advise these folks um, as it relates to just starting a climate action plan? You know, where do you begin? I would say that first off, to understand that this is something that will eventually be integrated to the finance, the facilities management profession. And first off, it is to make sure to take that first step. That first step is sometimes challenging to take and sometimes is the, the hardest one to take, but it is that first step along the journey. And while there is a lot of value in making sure that you are setting up the stage for accurate measurements so that you can understand the improvements being made, that should not stop you from undertaking initiatives that will drive reductions and emissions and efficiencies across the portfolio. And it is an interesting time to really drive those efficiencies, not just from a real estate and space utilization perspective. But again, this concept that the way that people are going to interact with the built infrastructure is going to change and that mm -hmm. facility managers play a key role in understanding that interaction 
to work with their organizations and the people that interact with buildings. Yeah, I, I think that that's, it's great advice. So if I'm listening between um, the lines, people don't have to know everything to start. They don't have to worry that they haven't been studying this for years to begin and to begin making a difference on behalf of their companies. Absolutely. And, and, and don't feel like the facility manager should be in that silo. I think that's really something that we've touched upon as well is that yeah. this isn't something that an, an individual function within an organization takes on. This is really something that happens across the entire organization. And that is one that has been one that I've really enjoyed is working across different functions in an organization, not just within our facilities organizations, but also within some of the business units that are in incorporating sustainability in mind to how we do everything we do. It's a great point, Andy. Um, and it not only um, spreads out the risk, if you want to think of it that way, but it increases the thought leadership um, you know, ideation about which efforts to start first will come from, you know, wildly different groups within the company. And that can be both exciting and, and good. And sometimes it won't work out and that's okay. It's, you know, it gets added to the list. You recalibrate and you keep moving. You got to be agile and you got to, exactly. You just got to right? keep doing it. Keep on, keep on plugging away. Good. Well, we have covered a lot, but I did want to ask you, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share um, with our audience before we sign off? Uh, absolutely, Jackie. And, and, and thank you for allowing me this opportunity. You know, I, I just want to say a, a big thank you to facility managers and uh, folks that have been in this space in particular the last two years. Um, I started at Liberty in May of 2020. And in some of the initial conversations that I had with, with our fo facility folks, I noticed that they were really kind of the first ones and, and really kind of the only ones that continue to go into the office. And at a time when there was so much uncertainty known about COVID, uh, they were the ones who made sure that folks who needed to go into the office were able to do that. And they were the ones who allowed people to feel safe in those environments and safe in the buildings that they operated. And so I want to say thank you to the facility, manager, facility managers at Liberty, but also to your listeners who are those essential workers that allowed us to do our job. And they have been super helpful in, this, in navigating this whirlwind of a, of a two-year timeframe. Yeah, it um, we appreciate that. It's um, it has been a very very interesting time. You know, buildings can't just be shut down to your point and expected to function. They're living, breathing entities, and they don't like it. Their pipes get gunked up, and you know, 
biogens and diseases form in the the water pipes. And there's a whole series of things like we just don't think about as it relates to um, how buildings operate. And FMs were put at the forefront of that. And and thankfully, because their expertise is just incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. This has just been so much fun talking with you. You're a wealth of information. And I think our listeners got quite a few um, good tips and advice about how to start their journey. Thank you, Jackie. And thank you for the opportunity to, to join the podcast. It's been a pleasure. All right. You take care and enjoy your weekend. You too. Thank you.